everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Hi, everybody. Wayne Dorban in Berthoud, Colorado. My guess is most of you have never heard of that place. We're actually northern Colorado, north of Denver, right in the beauty of the Rocky Mountains. As I look out a window, I see 14,000 foot peaks, so really beautiful place. Um, William is with us from Croatia, and he's going to tell us more about his location and such. We thank all of you so much. There are a bunch of you out there. We were doing just sort of having people throw out where they're from earlier. You can still do that. You can throw it in the question thing. Remember, you've got a little dashboard over there on the right, and there's a place where you can throw in questions. We also have a chat over there. If there's links for different things that William talks about or, or that come up, we'll put it in that chat, and you'll see it there. There will be a replay, and there will be replays of all of these sessions that we do with William. And, and so those will be available. This will last about an hour, and if we go longer with questions, we'll do that. That's, that's something we will go longer if we have it. We try to be respectful of time. This is the economic action team that is presenting this, and William has grace, graciously agreed to be a presenter for us. We've been getting to know each other over about the last five or six months. He's a member of the economic action team. He's active, and he comes to our sessions and watches them. He's got an amazing story he's going to tell you, and more importantly, teaching about what you can learn from. And one of our goals here on the Economic Action Team is to bring people like William to give really valuable information to all of you, things that you can use in your lives. We're not going to be pitching for certain, certain things that are out there on these presentations. It's teaching. At the very end, I'm going to talk a little bit about more about what the Economic Action Team is. But that's just a little bit of introduction here on the front end. Thank you guys for all coming. Put your questions up there when they come. William's going to be doing most of the talking. I'm going to watch the questions. Mark is my helper. Mark is from Bangladesh. Say hi, Mark. Unmute your mic, Mark. Hello. Sorry. So Mark comes on all of these, and he is a huge help, and um, he'll help get the questions and help get it to our attention. So with that said, William, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. You, you know, this is my first public appearance, so if you ever wondered who is the mind behind Permaculture Apprentice, it's me, and, you know, I'm happy to be here. Well, and he is he's going to be so great because I have listened to his permaculture apprentice and his training sessions and such, and, and he's being shy right now, but it's going to be awesome. William, we're going to start out just with a few kind of just personal questions and things so that people can get to know you. Um, tell us about just what you're doing now in your life with your family. Tell us a little bit about your family, where you're at now in your life, and then what brought you to this point. Okay, so as I said before, I live in Croatia. And I was actually born here, and uh, you know, I spent at least five years or more living abroad and working as geologist in Australia. But eventually, 
my wife and I decided to come back and what I'm doing right now is uh, you know I have my offline and online life and they both take time so what I do is I have my farm I uh, do a lot of research for my website I explore things uh, practically on the on the site so I kind of have those both both worlds uh, connected where I actually uh, feel that I actually need to be uh, experimenting in order to understand whatever I'm writing. So I'm, I'm in a pretty good situation right now where I can actually do that and make that uh, as my living as I you know quit my job and and to be honest I'm never intending to come back to a job rather I'm pursuing my own thing and I could say that you know I experienced working uh, you know well basically if I rewind back I can actually say that um, I'm a, just an ordinary person like any, any person out there trying to uh, you know set up a better life for you know for for myself and my family and uh, I'm basically in the trenches of uh, transitioning myself, my family uh, to more sustainable lifestyle and as I'm doing that I'm actually uh, then writing about that um, uh, seeing what works um, deconstructing what works for others uh, but I, as I would usually say I'm just ordinary man pursuing this extraordinary lifestyle so um, it all kind of started I don't know many years, maybe you know, because I grew up, um, I grew up in, in a in a small village, you could say, uh, always you know close to nature. And when I was young, Croatia was in the war, so uh, I have experienced living through the war, and so that gave me all kinds of perspective, you know, living like a self-sufficient, self-reliant life, uh, you know, being connected to nature and growing my own food. But eventually, you know, as you go, like it's funny. Well, when when you're a child, you basically hate all of that because it's a it's a work, and then you decide kind of I, I don't want to do that. It's too much work, and you go out in life. That's how I went and pursued my engineering career, actually pursued my geologist career, and as I went uh, into the world and. Uh, with my dream of oh I'll be a geologist and I'll be outside enjoying myself in the nature uh, the thing actually uh, was uh, kind of not what I was expecting because I ended up you know I ended up uh, living creation going to Australia and then there I was working uh, as a geologist uh, exploration geologist searching for gold and, and silver and I was just uh, I was feeling like uh, uh, that I was betraying my values, and my values were, you know, uh, I, I, I like nature and I like everything connected to, you know, to the earth. And I and there I was, working, uh, actively being involved into destruction of that nature. So that, you know, in the meantime, as I was going through all that, you know, I was kind of I discovered kind of permaculture and and eventually I made a plan that I'll be you know that I'll leave that lifestyle behind and come back 
to my you know to Croatia where I have my family uh, and start a farm actually take over to my grandparents farm because I have you know I have that benefit I have that I was blessed that I have access to land so for me it made more sense for me and my wife to come back to Croatia and do something with that land and actually organize our lifestyles in much simpler way but much you know I would say much healthier uh, happier uh, life here than pursuing a career and pursuing like let's say a normal life like any other person with a secure job secure paycheck and I can say that this involves uh, uh, a lot of insecurity so I, I can't say that I have security in my life but that's kind of the way of lifestyle that will be need we will need to be adapting for in the future and I'll be talking a lot about that in, 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 in my in my program about how can you uh, transition to that kind of lifestyle and what does that entail and how can you take over you know can you take over the control over your life and design the life that you uh, that every that a lot of us are actually dreaming of but not capable of doing my context is different each person has different context. My situation is not perfect. Uh, I, uh, you know, my wife, my wife uh, and I, we have a we have a farm, but we also uh, are uh, part of the time situated in a suburban situation where we rent. My wife works in the city. I commute to the farm. Uh, actually, the location of the farm is not ideal, so I I, I experience all kinds of problems that other people are experiencing as well so you know I'd be, I'm still let's say we are still searching for ideal piece of land so I have that you know that perspective of searching for land uh, I have perspective of finding a way of uh, making things work and, and, and selling myself doing something else than just a regular job so I have many perspectives and uh, I'm writing my blog from those perspectives because I'm one of those people that I'm writing for so this kind of uh, what I can uh, bring people. I'm not like a, a expert that you can't reach. I actually, whoever subscribes to my email list gets a personal message from me. Can get a personal, you know, a personal uh, communication with me. If they request, we can even talk. So I'm always available and making myself available. That takes time, but I'm uh, I'm I'm happy to help people because I know how it feels to be trapped in the lifestyle that they don't like. So. Awesome. Um, so tell us right now, because people see it behind you, you are in, a, in an office or in a room and you're in the yeah. place in town. You're not out at your farm, correct? Yeah, I'm not in my farm because now the farm work is basically done. The winter is coming and when winter comes, that place is totally isolated. So I have a kind of responsibility of, let's say now, running, uh, running my website and running my online business because um, I got... Uh, probably like 12,000 people on my email list that are not I'm not saying that they are expecting but I have that responsibility to serve them and uh, that's what I'm doing basically what I'm doing I spend my days you know researching producing content talking with people doing consulting and coaching and that's why you know my office is my you know I have my that's why I say that I have I have you two have lives. Both lives you have both yeah, lives yeah. I have both lives and both take time. Uh, sometimes, you know, I would spend six hours doing, you know, computer work and then, you know, go 
go out and do four hours of work or something. So that's kind of, I would say, because I'm producing content, everything that I do outside is taking more because I try to document that and, and, and uh, explain that later. But that's my unique, that's my unique skill that I have. Everybody has their own skill, you know. Uh, we'll see later. I will outline different ways that people can make a living from farm. I'll outline the whole steps from not having, let's say, an idea what you want, setting a goal, all the way to the end of making a living. Because I'm in that process, discarding everything. Different pieces are working. Let me let me give a pers my perspective on where William's at just real quickly, and then I'm going to ask him a whole bunch of really fast questions, and then he's going to get into a presentation. I think if any of you that are out there now and you're just watching the replay, think about Mark Shepard. Mark Shepard is my partner, and and Mark does a series that'll be tomorrow night that he's been doing on forest ecology. Mark is 30 years into his journey, and he grew up even in his journey before, so he's over 50 years. Picture if you would have been able to be with Mark Shepard in Alaska 30 years ago as he was beginning his adventure of changing his life. That's what you're seeing with William. And Mark is probably was as good of an educator then and would have loved to have been able to document more closely and better what he did. William's doing that right now. That's what's so excited about William. I am about William. I think a lot of you are that he's in the trenches He's doing it right now, and he's documenting it to share it with you. Right, William? Isn't that, that's the whole yeah, point. That's the whole point of everything. Because in the beginning, when, like, uh, when I was trying to make a plan for myself to transition to something else, I was actually frustrated that I couldn't see anybody actually documenting or doing or uh, teaching it. I know that everybody, you know, likes to learn about, uh, you know, swales and hoogles and everything. But for me, the big, the big question is, you know, how can I, you know, that's how can I transition into something that I would like to be, you know, that I would be proud of doing. And that's kind of where my uh, idea for the blog uh, website came up. And I would be, you know, in the beginning. I, w I was researching as crazy as how other people were doing it and kind of de deconstructing their model, their model, because if we have people who are doing it, then for everybody else, it takes less time to do what they want to do because there is already somebody, you know, like Mark Shepard. Mark Shepard has done it and has proved it, and we can all follow his model. So if we have more people doing it, more people documenting it, then we have more models and basically with models we can compress time and other people can do it much quicker. Yep, that's exactly our goal here. You couldn't have stated it any better. So let's go into what I call a lightning round. I'm going to ask you about six or seven questions that literally he hasn't even heard some of these. I asked, told him about a couple of them, but, but I'm going to just ask him and he's going to tell us a little bit about himself. So let's pretend, go back in time, and you were 15 years old and you were just kind of had a beautiful weekend afternoon you didn't have any other obligations and, and you were living wherever you were, what would we find William doing on just this beautiful time when he could just do what he wanted to do? What would you be up to? Well, if I remember correctly, you know, uh, when I was that age, I, I just loved to spend uh, days walking in nature with my dog. And that was 
and I still remember those names, those days because recently that dog passed out, and so and he was like 15 years old. So I remember, uh, I remember clearly uh, walking in the nature and enjoying nature and you know weather and rain and thunderstorms and even especially on a sunny day I'm sure that I would be walking somewhere in nature. Yeah, wow. with the, with the, so how old was he when he died? Oh he was fifteen years I would say. Yeah, 15, yeah. 15. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's fast forward to today. The mm. dog's not here, but you still have your family and others. What would we find William doing again? You don't have you don't have to do your internet business. You don't have to be doing farming for the day. What mm. would William be doing? Well, what I like to do on Sundays that are my day off, we could say, and the weather is nice, I would go for a walk with my, my wife in the nature, the same thing. Same but, thing. Uh, uh, and as I would be, you know, walking, because that's my professional deformation now, I would be just looking at how Mark teaches it, you know, reading the landscape, analyzing things. And because I have that perspective, oh, I would like to buy a property somewhere, then I go with that perspective as well and I would be analyzing. Maybe a little bit different, I would say that I need to uh, learn how to be in the moment in the nature. Probably that's missing because my brain is constantly working, uh, constantly thinking. So that, that's different. Back then I was more in the moment. Yeah, no, you were just But it's the same kind of thing. So I've asked this question to maybe 500 people on different interviews and most people actually would do something pretty similar. By the way, I have a fire engine and you're probably hearing an engine. That's that noise in the background. Um, it'll be gone in a second. Um, what's, what is the, tell us about a book that comes to your mind or a, a, or a long article of some kind that you've recently read that you would just highly recommend everybody else. And if you just can remember the name and the author, that'd be great, or, or either one. And we'll we'll make sure that it, the link gets to everybody, whatever, if it's something that you can tell us. Well, I, I read I read a lot. I would read a, a book a week, probably. Uh, and recently, I was reading a lot of books. Uh, well, because I'm, I'm preparing for the whole program. But what I'm reading right now is Antifragile from Nasib Taleb, and that's uh, you know that's not permaculture related at all. I have my you know I, I read I would read permaculture books, personal development books, uh, all kind of psychology books and everything. But this one is important I would say because it has to do with everything that I'll be talking about. I'll be talking about setting up a resilient life and resilient permaculture farm. But basically, what we should be aiming for is more like an anti-fragile, some you know type of a system where uh, people and things benefit from you know shocks, and that shocks make them stronger. So that's something that I was reading right now. It's a huge book. Uh, it's probably not for everybody, but uh, it goes into a lot of things that is uh, wrong with today's, let's say, how our society is set up and a lot of things that a lot of people could benefit from and that I will be touching also about being, you know, living in uncertainty, living as an entrepreneur and um, just being more anti-fragile in life. So that's kind of, I, I can throw a book 
every time I have a program, probably it will be different. And any time you want to talk about others. So anti-fragile, we'll get the mm -hmm. specific links for you guys. I threw it actually up into the chat, just what, what William was talking about. Um, how about a person? And this could be either more recently or any time in your life. Tell us about a person that's influenced you, that's important to you. Well, I had few persons on my journey. Mark Shepard is one of them. David Holland is one of them. Recently, I would say Elon Musk is one of them because Elon Musk is capable of dreaming big and, uh, you know, he's not selfishly thinking about himself. He's actually thinking about the whole, you know, humanity and how we can transition into uh, economy and, uh, and society into more uh, cleaner energy future. There's going to be a big issue. So I respect them because he's doing big and bold things that we should be, you know, be, I would say, be more like Elon Musk and okay. less like, you know, less like uh, politicians. Okay. We just talk and do nothing. So right, right. Um, what about a tool, either a physical tool, an online tool that you again have started to use sometime recently that you can remember that you could recommend to our to our group that's here. So some kind of a tool that you just think, wow, this is awesome. So again, physical or online, let's say. I would say. Well, of course, I like online things, but recently, battery powered chainsaw. Battery powered chainsaw. Wow, very yeah. cool. Yeah. Because it's a battery powered, so you, you you don't get that noise when you cut, you know, your trees or wood. You go, you don't get that noise, but you do, you know, you do the work, and you basically can enjoy yourself, you know, coppicing wood in the forest without the noise of you know, chainsaw, the chainsaw makes. So that, that's a, that's a, you know, of course, my laptop, a lot, a lot of, you know, software that I'm using as well. So as a, as all people will discover, I'm more like a, I like my technology and I like nature. And I think that, you know, they can both, they're not mutually exclusive. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. By the way, I, I sent out a chat to everybody and I said, oh man, I have a train going by. So I buy a, I buy a fire station and a train track, so that'll be gone in a second. I, I misspelled Elon Musk's name and I sent out another message to you guys in the chat. Um, so Elon and uh, the tool is a battery. We'll talk about battery-powered chainsaw later sometime, or you'll probably tell us about it. That'd be great. Here's a, here's a tough one. Tell us about... And, and be as generic as you want to be or specific about something that happened in your life that at the time it happened was unbelievably negative. It, it just hits you at the time pretty badly, emotionally, however. But today, you look back on it and you say, it, it was maybe one of the best things that ever happened. So some negative event that now you look back on and say, it actually worked out way for the better. Is there something you can think of? By the way, he hasn't gotten this question from me before at all, so he's whatever he's thinking about, it's the first time he's heard this question. Well, I had many negative things, and I think that negative things are, are as I recommend this book, things are necessary for us to, you know, be become stronger and benefit from them. You know, I can see many benefit. you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's a benefit, but... Uh, not many Americans or Australians 
are able to experience this, but uh, we all, let's say in Europe, especially in Croatia, we are close to our family. And I would see on many occasions, I got, I got three grandparents that basically died uh, in front of me. In a sense, they, they were dying and I would be there for them. So every time, uh, as I would be experiencing that, that would be really negative in a sense, but after the whole situation was gone, I would, I would always, uh, that would always remind me how, you know, life is short and how we should be doing, uh, there is no time for, you know, to wait or postpone whatever we want to do in life because at the end of life those things are not important what other people think or what you should be doing according to others or anything what's important that you were, do, that you were doing what you uh, wanted to do so so and and I experienced that with you know three great three grandparents and one great grandparent so wow uh, yeah that's tough so so last question. This is kind of what, I'm, what we call. And I took this away from a guy um, that does what's called Entrepreneur on Fire. It's a podcast where he interviews daily new entrepreneurs, um, John Lee Dumas, and this is what he calls his doozy question. So I'll, I'll stop. This will be my last question. Then we're going to turn it over and and let uh, and let William start us through sort of um, his presentation, which then we're going to continue for hopefully weeks into the future. By the way, that's one of the things we do here. We don't slow people down. We don't put people on schedules. William can, William can teach you whatever pace that he wants, the pace you guys want. You're going to dictate that by showing up and answering questions and so on. We're not going to push and say, oh, you've got an hour. You've got to get it all in mm -hmm. today. You can take, he's, going to, he's going to take his time to do what, it's, what, what's, what he wants to teach you about. But here's this doozy question. Have you ever listened to John Lee Dumas, by the way? Um, so maybe you've heard. You've heard this yeah. question then, so you've had a chance to think about it. And here's, here's what it is. He always asks this at the end with people. Let's assume that you woke up this morning and it was very clear that you were not in where you were the night before. You're in a new planet even, but it looks a lot like Earth. And, and you've, you've kind of talked to some people around you and, and it's, it's, it's the same. People are the same. You've already been assured all your needs are taken care of, but somehow you've just been transported in time and space to somewhere else. So you know that all your needs are taken care of. What you've found though is all you have is your laptop and $500. What are you going to do for the next se next seven days, for the next week? Well, I would do what, what I'm doing right now because I would start a website and I would start help to help people. I would start helping people with uh, whatever they are struggling with because I know that uh, if I can help others they will help me and that's how you know that's my life uh, philosophy is uh, first give and then receive that's the only way that I can see that uh, that's basically one of the ethics you know people people care from permaculture but what I realized is if you can create value in other people's life you will receive you know benefit from that value back in whatever you want to achieve, not just I'm not just talking like financial capital. I'm talking about social capital, material capital, and all other things, intangible things. So if I would, you know, be 
that situation, I would start my blog and I would start helping people. I would be maybe describing what I'm experiencing now. I would be start, you know, uh, I would be doing basically uh, what I'm doing right now. And by the way, you're you're uh, sort of unusual. If you've watched John Lee Dumas, most people have a little different answers. They're not mm. all bloggers themselves, and mm. so on. Mm. So, mm. And you are doing. I I mean, I kind of expected that William would give that answer, um, mm. and I didn't know whether he'd listen to John Lee Dumas or not. So we're at the point where I'm just going to turn it over to you, William. Um, we've got about a half an hour left in the hour. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of a presentation at the end about this EAT team, the Economic Action Team that you guys are all here for and what William's talking about. And then we're going to take questions at the end, but William's got, you know, 20, 25 minutes now that he's just going to go. So I'm going to leave it to you, William. You've got your presentation up on the screen. Yeah. Go for it, man. It's all yours. Okay, so if let me know if something is not coming clear or if you can't guys see what I'm we'll do it. We'll seeing do that. here. Okay, so you can see, uh, just give me a second, I'll just, okay, do this. All right. Okay, ready? Go for it. You're there. We see it really clear. Okay. So, uh, what I'm going to talk about is how to design and set up a resilient permaculture farm. So, this is just one facet of making a transition to a permaculture lifestyle. And I'll take you to all the steps from the beginning to the end. And you might be asking why resilient, and uh, it's important to get a context for that, and I'll address that in later slides. So in this program, I'll show you how you can provide for your needs, uh, build self-sufficiency and resiliency, and basically uh, create a life of options and opportunities, while at the same time regenerating and restoring the land. So just a few notes about you know my inspirations and you know on what foundation my work was built. And as you can see, uh, we have Mark Shepard and his Restoration Agriculture book that was a, a big influence. His uh, farm, New Forest Farm, is one of the greatest examples of what we all should be doing. Whoever has the opportunity. Another influence is the resilient farm and homestead, uh, Ben Falk, and his whole systems uh, design approach to things. And of course, David Holmgren, uh, with whom I spent some time with, uh, learning from him, and, and, and what's, uh, what was actually amazing is that he doesn't focus on permaculture, but the whole system. And that's why his future scenarios work uh, was also so influential in what I'm doing right now and what I'll be presenting. Okay, so I'll be taking you through three main stages of uh, actually building a resilient permaculture farm. That's research, design, and setup. And here is the overview of the whole program. There will be probably 10 distinct lessons, and depending on how much time it takes us for, les for lessons, we might have a little bit more sessions. So, for example, uh, let's say um, 
designing living systems is going to be a really, I'd say, comprehensive lesson. So that is going probably to be that's going to be split probably in in, in two sessions. Again, here you can see those three uh, main stages: research, design, setup. So research in research will be researching uh, the context of, let's say, where we are as a society. And then we'll uh, also be researching uh, how to find appropriate land. After that, we'll go into design mode and uh, we'll be preparing the base map, uh, then reading the landscape, uh, of course, then designing water systems, uh, infrastructure, and living systems. Once we are done with the design, we'll move to the setup and we'll be developing implementation uh, strategy and after that setting up a small permaculture nursery and finally developing farm economy. Okay, so let's take a deeper look into each of these lessons. Um, as I said, first we'll talk about the context. Uh, in order to understand how we need to design our resilient permaculture farm, we want to be aware of the context of where we are uh, today. So, in this introductory lesson, we'll talk about present and future trends and possible future disruptions. And we'll be looking through the lens of four big categories. Uh, that's energy, environment, economy, and technology. And for this, we are going to extend our time horizon and look into the future, not just our lives, but lives of our ch children as well. Uh, all I can tell you right now is that uh, there are big challenges and there are big changes coming. And uh, we need to be aware of where we're headed so we can create systems and design our lifestyles that are able to both withstand the possible disruptions and be able to benefit from changes that are coming our way. That's, I, that's why I recommended the Anti-Fragile book. Uh, this is the theme that will be going through the whole program. So, and finally, in, in that first lesson, this is going to be a whole session. And that session, you know, that can be uh, 50 minutes, one hour, depending even with, with questions even more. I've been researching this and uh, there are a lot of interesting trends that uh, are coming. Uh, things that are real, things that will be changing, things that we can use, and things that we need to prepare for. So, uh, as I said, I'll give you an overview of whole farm planning, and this is going to be water, infrastructure, living systems, farm economy, and community. Uh, these are the components of resilient permaculture farm that we'll be designing and setting for. Okay, so after you know, discussing the context in that first session, uh, we'll move to finding appropriate land to farm. I know that some of you might already have some land, uh, some of you might be searching for land, some of you might be planning to get some land in 10 years, regardless where you are in your journey and land hunt, uh, this lesson is a starting point. And this is because no matter what your current situation is, the first thing you need to do is define your context. And that means your goals, your vision and purpose of the whole project of permaculture farm. Uh, ideally, that's why I'm putting it here, ideally you want to first define your goals. 
and then search for land that meets that goals rather than doing it you know backwards uh, getting some land and then uh, defining our goals and then realizing that your goals are impossible with the land you have so what I'm going to give you here is a simplified holistic management framework uh, you'll be able to quickly assess uh, your potential and resources and define your goals, vision, and purpose of the project. In the second part of this lesson, uh, we're going to discuss uh, what to look for when buying a property, when searching for a property. Uh, the first step of uh, doing a regional context research is also applicable to people who already have land, uh, as this uh, research will give you necessary insights into uh, your climate, landscape, biome, and culture of the region you're in or you're considering moving in. Uh, this will be also important because, as I said, uh, one part of creating a resilient life, a resilient permaculture farm is also community. And so basically that comes first. You want to position yourself where there is a good community. As much as I'm discovering right now that my farm actually doesn't have a community and that's a big deal because everything, uh, you know, I don't, have, I don't have anybody to, you know, trade my knowledge with and services are expensive. Actually, I don't like the whole setting, but uh, I, have a lot, I have a land there. So I'm thinking if I would be in a situation where I'll be searching for land, first I would be thinking about the community and setting that I'm in. So, and then as we zoom into the site itself, uh, I'll give you a checklist of site-specific criteria you should be aware of when considering buying a property. Uh, so you can basically uh, come to a potential site and then, uh, based on that checklist, look, uh, you know, pros and cons of that site. Okay, so after we have some land and after we gather some research about our region. Uh, the next thing we need is a base map. Uh, this will be a foundation for our design drawing and uh, interpretations we're going to make further on. So in this uh, lesson, this lesson is, is probably going to be in a split in two. We'll see how much time it takes. But I'll discuss using Google Earth or Google Maps and other sources to acquire necessary maps for the project, for, for our project. And that's uh, We'll need an aerial photo uh, that you can get that easily from Google Earth, and I'll explain that. And, but we also need a decent topographic map. For that, you know, we can get that from Google Maps, uh, but it's not accurate, and you know it's uh, not showing that much compared to what you can do, what you can get with a proper site survey or or just searching uh, searching from you know, private companies or something else. Uh, then we'll go through different options for creating a base map, uh, whether that's just using Google Earth or other programs as well. I'll outline different ways you can do that and I'll show you how you can do that. Uh, I have a course and I'm teaching you know, people how to design and I can tell you that um, the biggest obstacle for people is just getting a decent base map. So I'll be outlining how to do that. Sometimes it's much easier, uh, cheaper, you know, compared to how much time you spend on doing that just to outsource uh, 
and let somebody else do the work. And once we have that base map, we'll be also analyzing uh, the terrain features of your site as well as defining uh, our watershed that will be important later on. So this lesson will be more computer oriented, but uh, for our design work, this is essential. Uh, you have to be able to use these tools if you want to do it yourself and not pay a consultant. Okay, so next uh, we'll be reading the landscape, where we're going to talk about how to read the landscape and perform the initial site observations. So basically here I'll guide you through the whole process of understanding our landscape. We'll go through analyzing terrain, uh, searching for water, uh, microclimates, uh, weather patterns, soil, uh, vegetation, and so on. Basically we'll spend some time explaining each of these components. Uh, we'll talk about different types of, of surveys you can do on your property, as well as some online tools and apps you can use for doing observations. Uh, when I say apps, you know, s smartphone apps uh, or other apps that uh, in a computer or uh, everything that is going to be useful. And because we have a base map, uh, then we uh, we can actually grab that information from previous step uh, and uh, put our observations on the map. Uh, but we will also be creating additional maps as well, like a sectors map, a microclimate map, terrain features maps, and so on. Uh, this is going to be also a comprehensive one. And as I'm doing my observations and as I'm learning from Mark, uh, who has an amazing ability to you know, observe the landscape, I'll put more into that as well. Okay, so water. This is going to be our first uh, design sketch. Uh, so we start with uh, water management. And here we're going to focus on developing effective and extreme weatherproof systems that boost the overall resilience of your farm. Because if remember, the context is important. So we need to be designing for whatever climate changes we are expecting, whether that means you know, more drought, more rain, more floods. Uh, so we'll be going first through uh, planning your water harvesting system. So going through the process of calculating how much you need. So what is your area's annual rainfall? Uh, what is your catchment area? Uh, what is your budget? And then based on that, we'll be you know, talking about uh, finding the most suitable places for your water storages. Uh, we'll be discussing finding key points, uh, key line, and designing key point dams and other types of dams as well. For this, we'll be going, we'll be using uh, knowledge from previous lessons of assessing the base map for main ridges, uh, primary ridges, and primary valleys. We're going to talk about also about finding the best position for your water tank storages and. Once we have that water storage in the landscape, the last thing we need to, to, to design for is uh, harvesting that water, uh, distributing that water, 
by using harvesting and erosion drains and developing irrigation pipes network like the one you can see in the bottom left. After water, uh, we designed for infrastructure and that means access structures and fencing. And here I'll also group homes at the area. You'll see what I'm talking about in a second. So we'll be dealing with positioning roads, uh, identifying the best locations for a house, uh, subdividing property with fencing. And this is important because the costliest mistakes you can make are the ones regarding the infrastructure elements of your farm. For example, uh, house that my grandparents built on my farm is on a floodplain. It's not exactly on the floodplain, but uh, it's a little bit more up the hill, but the water keeps on coming every year closer and closer. And as I heard, there were stories that water was actually in the house. So that's a house in the wrong position. You don't want to do that with your design. Those are big decisions and we'll talk about some principles of deciding where to put what. So we'll go, we'll go through considering possible locations for access roads. We'll look at some examples, uh, talk about principles of designing for access. Uh, we'll find the best location for your house in a given landscape and what factors to consider when looking for the best spot. We'll look at who, uh, we'll look at how to design fencing and what types of fencing to use. And finally, as I said, we'll look at uh, the homestead design. And by homestead, I mean zone one and zone two. Uh, here we'll uh, talk about energy efficiency. So positioning of homestead structures, uh, your options for generating energy and also utilizing advancing technology. And here I mean optimization and even robotization. That's why I said, you know, utilizing trends and actually benefiting from future trends. Okay, so as a final part of our design work, we have our living systems design. Uh, this will be a comprehensive lessons. Uh, comprehensive lessons since food production is the primary focus of most permaculture designs. Uh, here first, first we'll go through zone by zone and describe each planting area in that zone. Uh, for example, zone one annual gardens or zone two orchards or zone three agroforestry systems, uh, zone four forest farming. And also we're going to discuss how animals integrate into these growing areas. Essentially first we'll be determining growing areas for gardens, food forests, orchards, and farm forestry, pastures for animals. As well, once and once we determine that areas, we'll go into details of each of them uh, in the next step. So this means that we'll be talking about the precise details of creating food forests with swales or permaculture orchards, farm forestry systems, and so on. Uh, we'll look at uh, layouts. Uh, planting patterns of each of these systems. So, for example, if we'll be, you know, if we're going to talk about uh, Jeff Walton style food forest, uh, we'll be talking about designing swales, or, you know, where to put swales, what is the distance between swales, uh, what to plant on swales, what 
is the space in between the trees on the swale and so on. So I'm assuming this will be a really huge lesson. And I'll be adding more as I learn more uh, over time. Okay, so once we're done with the design part, uh, we can start implementing our design on the site. So there are certain steps uh, we should follow in that. And uh, I outline nine of them in my post uh, of how to set up a permaculture farm in nine steps. And these steps are based on the key line scale of permanence. Uh, so first we have developed water supply, as we talked before in the design. In the design also we have water first. So that means water storage, water harvesting, distribution of water. After, after that we go to defining access points, then restoring existing buildings and introducing new structures. Uh, after that subdividing uh, the farm with fencing, uh, improving the soil, and then planting trees and crops. Uh, then animals follow. Finally we develop a farm economy. So I'll be expanding on this strategy. And we'll talk about uh, developing an implementation plan based on your priorities and your budget. Uh, finally, we'll talk about performing some simple earthworks, as earthworks are basically the first step in implementing a design. Uh, so usually when we are performing earthworks, uh, these include water earthworks, uh, infrastructure earthworks, and you know once we have soil disturbed, uh, planting trees, uh, improving the soil with green manures, so earthquake subject is rather comprehensive. Uh, we'll be touching on that as well. You'll probably need a lot of trees for your project, like every other permaculturist out there. So we'll discuss growing them yourself and saving money, because usually the biggest cost in establishing permaculture site, except earthworks and infrastructure, is growing trees. And sometimes when people don't have enough to do infrastructure works or, or something, you know, earthworks uh, connected to infrastructure, they are, their biggest block is getting trees. So if you want to save, your, save money, you want to grow them yourself. And I spent my last year experimenting with this and I grew thousands, I grew not thousands, hundreds of trees without much effort. And as I said, my time is limited. Uh, so this was a combination of growing, uh, growing trees from seeds and cuttings. Uh, seeds were easy to come by. I found seeds uh, in my nearby forest or I would grab seeds uh, from other people's backyard or something. Um, or I would order them or order them from eBay. Um, so I'll be outlining all of that, how you get your seeds, how you get your cuttings, and how you uh, actually start and set up a small permaculture nursery that can grow you a thousand trees by yourself. Um, and this nursery can be anything from five gallon buckets to nursery boxes, uh, nursery beds, and so on. So I'll give you a plant propagation guide, uh, but from a permaculture perspective, I'll be doing all of this for myself. So I'll be you know, creating a checklist for others as well. 
Okay, so finally we have farm economy. And here I'll be outlining different ways of making a living from a permaculture farm. So I recently ran a post uh, about this and uh, what I found is that there are seven different ways you can make a living from a permaculture farm. And only one of those is being a permaculture farmer. We also have secondary producer of value-added products. We have marketing and distribution. We have nursery where you can do plant propagation and animal breeding. Services related to your farm or farming that can be ecotourism, recreation, basic healthcare. Then we have teaching education, something that I'm doing, something that a lot of people are doing. There's just only one small part of the whole, you know, making a living from permaculture farm thing. And finally, we have consulting where we can designing and implementing designs. So I'll be exploring these so-called occupations in more depth, but also we'll be talking about how you can develop your own strategy, your own transitional strategy based on your skills and knowledge that you have and other things as well. And finally, depending on, you know, if I'm going to split this into one or two or three or whatever, we'll look at some case studies of, of successful permaculture farms that we can deconstruct uh, and use what works for them and actually uh, adjusting a little bit for our own situation so we can implement that into our lives. And that's basically it. I don't know how long it was or it wasn't, but... Mm, you, this you, no, that was great, William. Um, everybody, boy, you have just been fed, not so much the details now, but you're going to be, obviously, th this is this is going to be minimally, you know, a 10-week session, and mm -hmm. he's already said many of these might be two or three weeks each. So um, I'm going to guess that we're 15 to 17, you know, something like that, and we're not going to put a limit. He can go as long as this is going to be so valuable for all of you. Remember, you're going to be learning this from a guy who's in the middle of doing it himself right now. And... We're going to end here. You guys think about putting some questions in, but I'm going to take over the screen real quick for just a second to talk to you just a little bit about sort of the logistics of this and how this is going to work. And, and William, are you seeing my screen now? By the way, I'll. I'll, I'll uh, is you seeing no. no, no, no. You should. Everybody, throw in a one in the chat if you now see. Oh, I haven't clicked the show my screen. Now you should be able to. I didn't. I didn't click the right button yet. Now do you see Okay, it? yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. So I'm just going to take about two or three minutes and go through this. And as I'm doing it, you guys throw in some questions. Throw in ones on your screen, if you would, right now, if you enjoyed what William just did, and if that was good for you. If you think you're going to get some value out of this course that he's going to be doing over the bunch of weeks, if you think I'm, if you put in a nine if you don't think you get any value. Frankly, you probably wouldn't still be here if you put in a nine. William, there's just ones, ones, ones just flying through here. Excellent. I don't know if you're seeing that, but... Thank you, everybody. Um, so that's going to be our, our sequence with, with, with what we're doing. But let me give you a little logistics about that. So I'm going to add some slides here real quick. So you're viewing this through what's called the economic action team. And I'm going to go quickly here. So let's, let's say that, that um, you wanted to not just get this, but what if you get up to 15 hours a week of live broadcasts from world experts on teaching, coaching, mentoring on other topics? like ecological aquaculture, sustainable indoor agriculture, permaculture, 
um, transition like William's going to be giving you, natural regeneration, soil health, alternative health concepts, the sharing co economy, and much, much more. What if you could get that stuff? Well, you can. You're going to get, all of you that are on here, you're going to get actually an invitation to what's called the Economic Action Team, and it's going to be free, so you don't have to worry about that. You're not going to pay for anything. And it was founded, this whole principle was founded by a guy named Dennis Weaver. Some of your older folks will remember Dennis. He did television shows like Gunsmoke and McLeod. He's dead now, but he was my mentor. He was the guy that helped me. And if, if somebody asked me those questions that William did, I would say that Dennis was somebody that was really influential in my life. Um, we, he formed a nonprofit back in 1993, and the whole intent of that nonprofit was to help other people make some money making the planet better. And he made up this word, economics. And so since 1993, um, this entity has been around. I took it over when Dennis unfortunately died about 10 years ago now. It's coming up on a 10th anniversary um, this coming spring. And our entity has one goal in mind, and that is to help people make some money making people and the planet better. And so we have a couple of really cool programs working with starving people um, around the world. And I'll talk about those another time, not for now. And we have programs where we help entrepreneurs by funding them, by paying them, helping them get their businesses started. So those are all things that you can look forward to. There's a train going by again. Sorry about that noise in the background. Um, so about six months ago, we started this EAT program, Economic Action Team. And that's now where we're at. And we have done amazing sorts of growth, actually. And so we do live teaching and coaching sessions on relevant topics for up to 10 hours per week. This week, there's going to be eight different sessions. And this is just one of them. And you can come to all of them as a free member for free. We'll give you notifications of them. You will have a website that looks something like this, which is the Eat Free website that you'll get. And there's an introduction. And I'm going to recommend that you watch this video related to the introduction. Um, and that will tell you more about it. But then there are live webinars on all these topics, and you're going to get an announcement every week of those topics. And as William starts to do, we'll have a replay of this up by tomorrow, and they're in all these different areas. Mark Shepard has done over 26 now, I think, of his restoration agriculture. And then aquaculture guest coaches doing all the things, Neil Spackman talking about greening the desert, all sorts of things. So that's something that you're going to have available to you. And then we have a second level. And I told you we wouldn't do a whole lot of selling here, but we're doing something special just because William's doing this for us. And a lot of his community is here. There's a lot of our EAT community that's already on here, so they are already taking advantage of this. But we are going to let you potentially become a member of our elite community. And the difference between elite and the free community is that in the elite community, all the replays, we have hundreds of hours now. And if you join that, your site you're going to get to look at, it's going to look a little bit like this. And I'm just going to go to one particular, just because Mark was talked about earlier, and that's restoration agriculture. If you were to go into this restoration agriculture section, you would see that there are now many, many different course, courses, uh, different series that he's done, much like uh, William's doing and for us here. I don't know why this isn't going slowly, but let's go to forest ecology. Mark has been teaching on forest ecology 
for um, a number of months now, almost six months. He's up to his 26th segment. This is going a little bit slow, sorry. I'm going to switch now to this. Anyway, we're going to give you a special right now. Normally this costs $75 a month for a year, and then you actually get it free after that. But we're going to give, just for people that came here today, a discount of where the first month would only be $2. And look at all of these sessions. I could click on any one of these, and these would be these many different sessions that have come from Mark. Um, so for $2, you can get a discount code right now. I'm going to show you that on the next slide here. Um, to where for if you put William1 in, actually I've got it on the next slide. I'm going to switch around that one. Um, where is a place for a code, you can get this right now, excuse me, one more slide further, here it is, for $2. And I'm going to put all these slides on our presentation and the replay so you can get this. You don't have to worry about this right now. And we're going to actually go to questions. I just wanted to throw that out at you. You may have questions about this also, but it's available for you. So anyway, um, why don't you throw in some questions that you have for William. We've got the time we'll take. Throw them into the, the question area, and um, you, we will answer questions right now, if you would like. I expect a lot today. There's still a whole bunch of you out there. Um, but if you've got them, throw them up. Actually, if they're specific to things William's going to talk about in the future, he may give you a little bit of an answer here now, but, but mainly he'll probably be talking about them more later. Uh, William, what type of soil are you working with? So first question coming from Leslie. Mm -hmm. Actually, there isn't much soil. I have a probably, I don't have subsoil at all. My subsoil is actually bedrock. I'm on limestone and I have probably, uh, if I get half a meter, I'm lucky. And then I'm already in the limestone. So in the beginning, I was discouraged by that, but then I realized, you know, Mark was on the same soil, maybe not, maybe not his whole farm. Uh, and as I learned more about Elaine Ingan's work, and I, as I learned more about biology, and as I watch uh, Mark's forest ecology, I realized that uh, my soil is all right. I just need to either choose the trees that are adapted to my site or improve my soil, bio soil biology and I'll be fine. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm experimenting with a lot of trees uh, that are grown from seeds that are grown directly on the site. I'm, uh, I'm actually planting species that are adapted or you know cousins from the you know, wild species and I'm uh, improving my soil with uh, green manures and stuff like that. So. Uh, in the in the past, whatever I planted when I was you know uh, younger uh, on the farm, it never grew, uh, and that was probably because of the uh, trees that I was planting, like a you know cloned varieties that are not adapted, and that was also probably because of the soil biology. So I would say, yeah, the the soil is not perfect but it's a great opportunity to learn. So the worst, you know, the, if you have bad soil, that's actually a blessing in disguise. So the same, Leslie also, and Leslie, by the way, is one of our, one of our regulars. She also asks, 
what pH? Just maybe quickly answer that. You've got a whole a. bunch of other questions a. that we'll ask a. you too. It's 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 a it's a so alkaline. Good. Okay. So Katie said she missed the first few moments, um, and I'll answer this. Where is William based? He's based in Croatia, and and then let's see what else does she ask? She says, and how many people work volunteer with him? On my farm. Yes, on your farm. Nobody. That's what I thought. So you hear that, Katie? Nobody. <laughs> okay. I'm working a lot. I get occasional help from my wife, from my brother, from my family, but I'm mostly alone. That's why I need to uh, find things that that I I need to work myself out of some work, you know, in a sense that I have to decide my priorities that will you know get me faster to where I want to go without volunteers. So I think I know the answer to this one. I'm going to let you answer it. And again, we'll give, I know as you go through this, this series with William, you're going to get a lot better and longer answer to this. But Jen asks, or first she says, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge. I have a one half acre piece of land with my home. I would like to use permaculture um, to take best advantage of the land and grow food for my family of three and donate some extra food to food banks. Is permaculture feasible with such a small piece of land? And she has how much? One half acre. So a quarter of a hectare, something like that. Okay. So I would recommend that she goes and reads my uh, my blog post about David Hogan. So David Hogan is a co-originator of permaculture. He lives in Australia in, in a small uh, town uh, where he owns two acres. So on, the, on those two acres, he's able to live Totally, he's totally food sufficient in a sense because they are not eating that much meat. They eat only, they only eat, uh, you know, game meat. Uh, so they produce all of their food, uh, mostly vegetables. They get some milk from the goats. They have some ducks for eggs and chickens for eggs. And uh, they produce a surplus of food. There was so much food that basically there probably four people could live completely self-sufficient, food self-sufficient from the property itself on two acres. So one and a half acre, I would say, you know, it's possible uh, for well, sure. And one, of the, one of our new, he's a good segue, one of our new sessions we're going to start in just the next couple of weeks is a fellow named Evan Folds, who is going to be teaching about what he calls farmer yard. And Evan, for 10 years, has made a living on farming backyards of people's locations in North Carolina. Curtis Stone also is somebody who we're going to have as a guest lecturer. Curtis has done it on a third of an acre on people's backyards up in British Columbia. Completely different zones and, and climates and so on. So, um, you know, there are people you're going to hear about if you get involved with us at EAT that have done and are doing making permaculture existences on very small pieces of land. William's going to talk about what he knows, which is what he described. And I put on the chat about um, looking onto William's blog to find that out. So here we go. We've got the next one from Ryan. Starting from square one, how many years does it take for a permaculture farm to produce a, a livelihood? In other words, how long can I expect to work an unrelated job in addition to farming? Um, how have you done this? Okay, so I would say there, there, there are no easy answers to the question because what I realized, uh, you know, looking at other people doing it, 
for example, Mark Shepard, uh, in the beginning, you know, he worked all kinds of off-farm jobs. He was supplementing his, you know, uh, income from her wife's, his wife's income. Uh, he was selling a lot of annual vegetables all while the trees were growing. So he was doing a lot of things. And that's the main thing. There is no one source of income that will, you know, totally substitute substitute your main source of income or farm. And it's a rather slowly transition into making a living from permaculture farm rather than suddenly just you know quitting your job and then putting a pressure on yourself trying to make a living. So I can't tell you the timeline because timeline varies from uh, person to person depending on their context. And my context is different because I already have some land. Uh, I have my website. I, you know, I'm producing. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, having some supplementary income from my nursery that I'm doing. Uh, but uh, they all form, uh, let's say, uh, uh, income that could substitute my work that I was doing before. But not single income will be enough. And there is not a certain timer that I can tell. It depends on your context. If you want, we can, you know, we can, you can. Uh, go to my website, contact me, and we can discuss this more. But I would recommend that you read uh, one of the. Uh, we can leave a link to permaculture farm profiles, where I outline most of uh, what I know successful permaculture farms, and you can see how they done it. So and basically, you can do it yourself. But I will be talking about that in the last lesson. So farm economy. We're going to talk about different ways of making a living and then developing your transitional strategy. And that transitional strategy can be, I don't know, it can be two, three, four, five years, depending on your situation, because each situation is different. There is no, like, a certain answer. It's going to take five years. It can take more, it can take less, depending. Do you own your land? Do you have a mortgage? Do you have kids? Uh, what kind of uh, job are you working? Can you, you know, take that job? Uh, and work like in telecommuting situation, so many different variables, and uh, no easy or simple answers to that. It's a great, great answer. And again, if you become a member of the EAT community, you're going to see that there's a course that we taught as we started this back a number of months ago now by Sarah Meyer, who um, is a chicken farmer, and that's been her passion. And she went through college and immediately transitioned out of college onto my farm, which is a permaculture-oriented farm. And we, we use what's called the sharing economy. I wanted to have somebody with a passion for chicken farming. I wanted somebody that did it naturally, that would fit in with my ethos on my farm. And February 1st of 2015, she started from scratch a chicken farm. Now, she had some knowledge. She had a lot of knowledge. She gained it by her college education and the fact that she had grown chickens in a semi-commercial way, even through high school. And she was able to take her knowledge, her passion, and take it to my location. So I provided her the land. I provided some capital to be putting in the infrastructure, which was coops and other things. She'll talk about this on her course, which you could come look at. And it's now 18 months later. She makes approximately $9,000 a month. By the way, we're very transparent about number and the different things that we talk about in courses. And that's a full living. That's all she does is chicken farming. That's all she's done ever since she started. 
literally, I supported it a little bit in the early stages. Um, she does nothing education-wise. She is a chicken farmer, and she's a chicken farmer in a natural sort of setting. So there are all kinds of answers. William answered it the right way. Every, every situation is different. Here is a great question. Um, this comes from Naomi, and she says, I've been following the permaculture at Princess for quite some time, and I must have all of your checklists and guides to different topics, which are excellent, she says. So wondering how much of this series will be new material or expansion on some of the things that I might have been interested um, in. I'm, I think I might be interested in volunteering. Let me finish. No, that's, yeah. Oh, on these things. I'm sorry, different question. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a different one. So she wants to really know if she does this, is she going to learn anything new or is this just a recap of what you've already taught? Well, you can't make a session that is long one hour without actually, you know, expanding. Like a blog post is a blog post. Uh, I don't know if she bought my course, but even if you have my course, you know, uh, one hour session is one hour session. And for these sessions, I do like a two whole weeks of research and experimenting and everything, collecting and then putting, you know, into into this. Uh, what I'm, ex you know, of course, what I'm doing, I'm taking uh, all my content that I created before, and I'm using it as a base. But each of my blog posts, when I write a blog post, I actually have, you know, uh, so much material that I need to, um, I need to trim so much material that there is probably uh, each blog post could be, you know, like a, a webinar session in itself. So that's what I'm going to do now with the, with the webinar sessions. They're going to be uh, each of subjects uh, is, let's say, for example, just a water management uh, webinar. You know, uh, whole books are written on water management. Or Mark can give a you know a series. Mark can uh, write a book on, on, on water management. So each lesson. I will be packed with information because I don't know any other way to do it than to, you know, create a, a, a content that and is And I've already seen William's practical. preparation. His preparation's amazing. And he just said something, I should have mentioned it earlier. His sessions are only going to be every other week because he asked to do it that way because he wants to take the time and make sure he's fully prepared every other week with new and exciting information because the goal is that when he's finished with this, we're going to he's going to prepare, hopefully, a course. We're going to help him prepare a course from this material that will be a follow-up or an addition to his existing course. If you guys get involved with this, you won't have to take that. You already have it. You'll have replays of it. You'll be able to get it. Otherwise, he's going to put that together, and that'll be another course that he'll market and sell separately. So this is something, if you wanted to, you can get it all now or... Later, you can wait, and he'll probably end up putting pieces of it, if not a lot of it, together to sell for a separate course. By the way, you've already got people. Katie's already saying that she's welcome to come and volunteer. That was the next one. She says she's in Scotland now and not too far. And she says if she's welcome, she'd love to come sometime and volunteer and help you. So Great. That, in the middle, uh, well, not in the winter. I know that uh, you know Scottish people are uh, <laughs> pretty you know, resilient when it comes to cold. But you know, all work stops from, I would say, from November to March. So everything, you know, 
outside November to March. Yes, please. Um, Ty has a long comment here, really. He says he wants to start a microgreens business. He'd love to talk about funding sometime. Mm -hmm. We're going to be interviewing several people. I have a microgreens mm -hmm. business. We already have mm -hmm. one. So we'll talk mm -hmm. about that. I don't know whether William's done anything with microgreens or not, but the whole point is of this whole group is that we want to share. We have a, we have a dedicated question and answer session on Fridays where we just talk about projects. So we're talking about mm -hmm. Trump systems right now. We're talking about all kinds of new projects that people can use and different things. So we'll definitely be able to help you on things about microgreens. He loved the seven ways that you talked about about making money, William. So mm -hmm. it's a great contact out here in Arizona and the soil is poor. Looking forward to drylands cost crop webinar. So he's just saying, hey, it's wonderful and he's mm -hmm. looking forward to it. Um, someone else has put that there's a suggested read, The Complete Book of Self-Sufficiency by John Seymour. Great book. Leslie has mentioned that. Um, Kate says, we lease land as we cannot afford to buy. Do you think permaculture is still an option? Great question. She well, leased as she cannot afford I, to I would, buy. I would say, you know, permaculture in a sense of uh, maybe annual gardens or something that has a quick turnaround. If you don't want to, you know, put trees in the ground, then uh, I would say that uh, people are usually uh, thinking that they what I'm let's let's take from my perspective. Uh, I have done a lot of work on other people's properties, or you know, doing volunteering, and even now what I'm doing with my farm. Uh, I, I I don't know if you know that that I want to let's say live there or stay there, but everything is a learning opportunity. So you don't want to learn when you know your life depends on it. You want to learn when you have your opportunity. So if your opportunity is to learn on the least land. Why not start a small, you know, market garden or a small annual garden and learn the basic principles, uh, because that's what is, you know, what's important. As also David Holmgren, people were saying that David Holmgren, when he was in New Zealand, he was working on projects where he would, you know, uh, plant trees and he would put himself uh, there and he would be working as crazy. And people were saying, "So why are you doing this?" He said that. Uh, the most important thing that he can get is, you know, that thing that he stays in his mind, his experience, and now he has a self-sufficient farm. So just do it uh, and learn, and uh, because then you can, you know, once you get your own land, you'll have much more experience and you'll be moving quicker. Do mistakes on other people's land uh, rather than on yours. We've talked about this, by the way, in other sessions, but I'm going to speak from personal. I am fortunate in that I have a larger farm. I can't do everything on it. Nothing. There's no way. I have been able to create 30 different profit centers on my farm, not by my work, none of it. It's all by others. And I have long-term leases with people, some of them that are perpetual to where it's as long as, as that land is there and I've got formal contracts with them. You could find landowners that would be like me in that, in that sense. So keep your mind open. This next comment's really cool. I'm going to read most of this. This is from Azusa del Rosario, Aziza from the Philippines. So we do have another part of the world here. It says, thank you so much for the webinar. Oh, shoot. I just moved. You're probably looking at this too, but I'm really neat comment that Azusa made here. Um, thank you. Um, we just bought our small farm last month and are planning a four-year transition period. This is my first webinar ever. Really mm -hmm. cool. Neat that you're here. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you'll be doing what you are doing, though. 
Um, I know there are times it might get tough. Know that there will be always someone somewhere you will inspire. He's telling you that, so that's really cool. You're, you're inspiring. Thank you again to both of you. I'm excited for the next sessions already from the Philippines. So Thanks. Aziza. Uh, um, the, Trump, the Trump discussion, not Trump, by the way. That's tough, I wish. The Trump discussion, Jack, is on last night, and so that replay will be on later today, probably, at the latest by tomorrow morning. And then a couple weeks ago, we also had one. Nick Kuznick was talking and talking a lot about it, and Silas Bennett, who are both team members. And I mean, we're going to do a business with Trumps. Members of our team, and you might be able to be one, Jack, or anybody else that's out there, we're going to do some things. And we're already getting the planning in place for it. So that discussion was last night. I'll put the replays up in the very near future. Um, and um, Jack says again, yes, we need this tech. Yes, we really do. The Trump tech does need to get out there. Those of you that knew or watched Bill Mollison at all, Bill was a huge advocate of Trump. He never really did get it implemented as much as he would have liked, but you can go back and look and see things that he's talked about. So anyway, I don't see any other questions right now. You guys have been amazing. There's still a bunch of you out there. Um, thank you so much for coming. William, thank you. Two weeks from now, two weeks from, um, from today, We've already got it on the calendar. I'm going to continue. When you register, you only have to register once. So those of you who are here tonight, you don't have to register again for William's session. It'll keep coming to you. So you'll be able to get these free. You'll get the info. If you want to get into the other sessions, though, um, again, I told you, you'll be being made free members of E. So you'll get login instructions for that. And there'll be announcements. Let me just show you that real quick. In the E page, there's an announcement session section here that will um, show you, go down here, that every week there is an announcement that comes out. This is going rather slow right now, just a second. It'll come, there it is. And it shows eight different sessions this week and it gives you all the logins for them. So I'm just scrolling through. There's the one that was yesterday. There's the one that I did yesterday. Here's the question and answer session. Here's what we're doing with William right now. Here's one tonight on alpacas. Here's one by Neil and Raleigh. Uh, that day actually changed. That's going to be on Friday. I sent out another announcement after this about that. Here's Mark's on forest ecology. And then finally, we have a, uh, an alternative health on Thursday. So that's the way you'll learn about all those sessions. And again, the Eat Free site, this is our elite site you're looking at, but the same thing on this site, there are announcements that will be right here when you click, and right here it'll go to announcements. And again, it'll show up looking just like what we just did, but it'll, oops, I'm, I went away from that. Sorry, I went to actually a link. I actually accidentally clicked on a link, so this is what you'll see. It'll go to a link for some webinar. It's going to show up on the screen here in a second. Come on, go to webinar. So there it is. So there's there's actually the one with Nicholas and Neil and Raleigh later this week. And so that came from, from this link that I accidentally cracked on. And that's the correction that I made. They're what they were going to do on Wednesday, they're going to do on Friday instead. So there's the announcement for that and the go to webinar registration. So again, don't see any other questions right now. And Leslie says. Thank you for a really good time. Keep up the good work. We all need to think about the future and be prepared. 
Thanks, Leslie from Spain. So that's a good thing to end it on. William, you got anything else to close us with? That's it. Well, be sure to come in two weeks because uh, I've been, you know, researching and preparing this uh, introductory session, and it's going to be interesting. So. Yeah, he's going to be awesome, everybody. Hey, everybody, I want to tell William thank you. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT community podcast.